Good evening. It's 9 p.m. on the West Coast, and you're tuned in to the ILEG Radio Show. Coming at you live from the heart of Oregon's Willamette Valley, broadcasting around the world on radio.ileducationgroup.org and I on globalpolitics.com. Here's your host for the next hour, Dr. Paul F.J. Aranyas. And thank you for joining me tonight on the ILEG Radio Show. I'm Paul F.J. Aranyas, and today we're going to be talking about a number of subjects. There's unrest in France going on. Seems a little bit different this time. I've seen it myself in person uh, when I was a grad student. Uh, there's unrest in Israel. There's the war in Ukraine, and the proxy war. So, what's going on in France right now? Let's start with France. France is protesting the pension reform of Emmanuel Macron. He rammed it through with Article 49.3. It's a constitutional article which says that uh, you can just basically ram it through uh, and then Parliament has 24 hours to have a no-confidence vote. It's, uh, as I said, an article of the French Constitution and enables a government to push a bill through the National Assembly, which is France's lower house of Parliament, and they can do it without a vote. They say the move is perfectly legal. I assume it would be if it's part of the Constitution. There's an argument that says in France that it's the spirit of the law has been violated, that it's anti-undemocratic. This law has been enshrined in the Constitution since its inception in 1958, part of several institutional tools that Charles de Gaulle, then France's leader, insisted upon in order to rein in the parliamentary instability of France's Fourth Republic and give the executive stronger control. So it, it, it's been used, Macron used it for uh, less controversial issues in the fall on budgetary issues, but this has really riled the French up. And I was there on a personal note in uh, when I gra- as a grad student in 2006. And there was a mass unrest um, of students and uh, workers joined them with the CPE protest, the contract premier in Bosch, which basically was a law that was passed in order to give employers more flexibility and you could fire young workers with their most likely their first job under the age of 26 without cause, without reason. And the students really weren't having much, any, any of it and went out into the streets and protested. And I, I remember bringing students into my apartment at the time and washing their faces off with, from the tear gas. And some, some have say that, you know, this is quite usual. France goes through these cycles of, of protest and and upheaval and trying to check the government. And some say this is quite different, that Macron has really engaged in undemocratic behavior. Now, the people, the students and workers were able to have that law withdrawn, the CPE, in 2006. But uh, Macron has succeeded thus far in having the law stay on the books to reform pensions, which saw the pension 
uh, age go from age 62 to 64. I mean, 67 in the United States. But here's my take in looking at, at all of this unrest going on in France with, with the violence, uh, police violence, heavy-handed police violence. Uh, you have what looks like, uh, you know, indiscriminate violence by a small group of people, the, the black, black bloc anarchists that are out to vandalize and create mayhem and, and hurt police officers and then police seen on videotape that are doing things that are quite uh, unreasonable and uh, unacceptable, hitting people on the head and, and things like that, police brutality, one would say. Here's my take. I'm always for workers. I'm always for, uh, I don't think the eligibility age for pensions should be raised. The French government right now is sending money, billions of dollars, uh, a billion, two billion dollars, I checked, uh, two billion dollars sending to Ukraine to fight a proxy war, a Western proxy war against Russia to kill Russian soldiers. The French government is doing that. My first reaction is that money could be used for pensions instead of engaging in this horrible policy as a, a, a pawn of Washington, the French government, and other EU governments, and the EU in general, engaging in this policy to prolong and to carry on a proxy war in order to hurt Russia, use that money for the French people. That's my first reaction on the budgetary issue. My second reaction is more geared toward French civil society and, and their hypocrisy, quite frankly. And if you remember in 2021, there was a referendum pushed through by the French government in New Caledonia. And this referendum was boycotted by the independence camp. Across the board, there was a 44% turnout, 56% abstention. And the Kanak people were hit the hardest by the Delta virus. And they had asked, according to their customs, according to their ritual native custom, to postpone the referendum until August 2022 to give time for mourning, to give time for healing, and as well as allow them to campaign in a traditional manner. One of the reasons being, a number of reasons there are, but one of the reasons is there was a digital divide. The Kanak got out to vote with big rallies in person and with social distancing and the pandemic being at its height with the Delta variant raging. They couldn't campaign. And the Kaldosh and the loyalists were able to use the internet and be able to use uh, digital media and put forth all kinds of uh, some very suspect cartoons that depicting the Kanaka's children with little children voices. And we talked about that uh, when it happened uh, on Iron Global Politics. But the reaction was from the Macron government was the people of New Caledonia have chosen to stay with France overwhelmingly. And just as a side note, he said, well, 
yeah, there was a, a turnout issue, not mentioning the massive boycott, but they have chosen to go with France, and France is more beautiful with New Caledonia as part of it. Never mind that it, the reason being is because there's a huge amount of nickel. At one point, a third of the world, or 25 to 33% of the world's nickel, last I checked, it was at 10% of the world right now, still a huge amount of nickel in that New Caledonia. Secondly, it's strategic for the French Navy. They want to be hanging out in, the, uh, in that region half a world away on the other side of the world from France to try to uh, relive the French empire or the French uh, colonial empire. And New Caledonia remains on the United Nations decolonization list today. It's a colonized people, however you want to wrap it. And what was the reaction of the French people, the French political system, the, po the political parties in France of this travesty of ramming through a referendum to maintain a colonial possession? The reaction was acceptance except for a few, a smattering of voices, Mélenchon, Mélenchon on the left, the far left in France, uh, made a statement um, against the, the referendum going through and the violation of the, the, the people, the, the will of the Kanak. But from the, from the left, the center, the, the right, they all went along with it, uh, except a few voices. And the people didn't come out to protest. The people didn't say it was undemocratic and hit the streets. Yes, it wasn't in their self-interest because uh, they don't feel like it's uh, them. It's not affecting their pensions. But according to Macron, these are their fellow citizens. According to the French mainstream, these are French people being violated in New Caledonia, being subjugated, being treated in an undemocratic manner. Yes, they're people of color. They're indigenous to that land. Is that the reason why there was no upheaval in France when it comes to undemocratic behavior from the Macron government and its surrounding political system. And now Macron is undemocratic. Now Macron is seen as undemocratic and an autocrat and a, a despot by those that despise his pension reform. Give me an email at comments at ionglobalpolitics.com if you have thoughts on this matter. To me, it's fact, smacks of hypocrisy, hypocrisy and mendacity. The fact that France colonized New Caledonia in 1853. And anybody who goes over the history of the Kanak people and what they've endured, endured under French colonial rule, the humiliation, the oppression, the crimes, will understand why this people need, they need independence from French colonial rule in 2023. 
And any French person out there talking about democracy, talking about their pension, and they're so upset about Macron raising their pension from 62 to 64. Like I said, I'm all for, I don't think the eligibility age for pensions should be raised. I'm for workers' rights. I'm for social justice. I'm for democracy and peace. But I'm also for truth. And, and I want to point out the hypocrisy of the matter when France is actively subjugating a people and putting forth a referendum rammed through by the French state with the silence of French civil society. And now they're worried about democracy. Well, there's one, one thing to say. What goes around comes around. If you're concerned about democracy, be concerned about democracy for all of your citizens. And be concerned about democracy and sovereignty and the right of self-determination for people that are subjugated under the boot of the French state in a land that's half a world away on the other side of the world that France, quite frankly, has no business ruling over. We can also talk about what the French did in French Polynesia with irradiating the entire population with nuclear testing and refusing, up until today, to apologize for it. So how are we supposed to feel about the French public when they're crying undemocratic? while they're actively colonizing a people on the other side of the world. You tell me. For me, I think it's hypocrisy and mendacity. I think it's a lot of hypocrisy, but I'm going to say still that, you know, the pensions should remain and give people their pensions. But I want to point out the hypocrisy of the, of the matter. You're listening to the ILEG Radio Show with Dr. Paul F.J. Aranyas, broadcasting live on radio.ileducationgroup.org and ionglobalpolitics.com. We think about democracy and the criticism of Russia. And I wonder if the West and the United States and France and England are the best representatives of democracy. I'm looking at the major foreign policy decisions of the last 20 years, let's just stick to the last 20 years, did they make the world or the country, the United States, a better place? Did the invasion of Iraq and Afghanistan make the world a safer, a better place? Did it make the country a better place? Did it make the country more democratic, the world more democratic? Did the bombing of Libya by France and the United States and Italy and other Western NATO countries make Libya better? Did it make the world a safer and better place? After that, a third of the country was taken over by ISIS and Al-Qaeda elements. So this continued talk about democracy when... We've had Guantanamo Bay, people sitting there without charge or trial. 
still to this day. This continued talk about democracy, about other countries, leads any rational, logical person to say, why do they do it? Is it really about democracy? Do they really care about the countries that they want to make more democratic? Are we really that democratic? Are our efforts more a better place by concentrating on our own countries instead of looking beyond our borders to wave our finger at? Would the world be a better place if our footprint was removed, if we didn't have 800 military bases around the world? The simplistic answer is that the United States keeps the peace. This is the mainstream answer, that since World War II, the U.S. is the policeman, and without the U.S., the world would be chaotic. If it's chaotic now, it would be even more chaotic. But everywhere that the U.S. and the West go, they overturn the table, and the worst elements take over or thrive. And so the West says we got to go fight them again because now they're there, so we got to fight them again. It's like an internal battle. But for me standing here, for me standing here, I'm thinking that these people don't care about the world at all. They care about money and greed and weapons contracts. And the people pulling the strings for these policies, that's exactly where their focus is for this week, this quarter, this month. How much profit are we going to turn? And if that is the case, if that is the case, if that is even remotely possible to be the case, I would think that every one of you out there would be extremely disturbed and would have no confidence in anything that the mass media or your politicians are telling you. How low has journalism sunk? When you turn on CNN or BBC or the French media and you see Russia's doing this, Ukraine says, Russia's stalling here, Ukrainian officials say, Russia's running out of missiles, Ukraine says. Is that the level of journalism that they're going to take the other half of a uh, of a warring of warring belligerents one part of a uh, of a war of a of a country at war and take their word for it and splash it as headlines all over the western world is that the level of journalism in the west where 
one side in a war who has a motive to keep on getting weapons, free weapons from U.S. taxpayers, that they have a motive to have a narrative about what's happening on the ground, even if their troops are being slaughtered one after the other, they have a narrative to say, it's okay, we're going to have a, a counteroffensive. Keep the weapons coming. Keep this war going. So we can stay in power in Kiev. So we don't have to go to the negotiating table. So we can be paid off by the United States and France and, and Britain and have that money siphoned off into the black market into corrupt deals while we do the West bidding to hurt Russia. And we're going to take, as the mass media is going to take, that government's word for it and splash it as a headline with an afterthought at Ukraine says, where's the independence, where's the investigative reporting, the independence of journalism where you try to seek the actual truth and stop saying, this is happening, Ukraine says. It's become a joke. I think the media is good when it comes to weather and sports. They tell the truth. Generally, generally speaking, they may get the weather wrong every now and then, but they're pretty good at it. But it, when it comes to the war in Ukraine, splashing headlines and saying Ukraine says is not very good journalism at all. You can do better. You should do better. You need to do better if you want to claim to be part of a democratic society as one part of an essential, an essential part of a democratic society. But, oh, but China, well, look at China's media. Oh, look, look at uh, Zimbabwe's media. Oh, no, 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 no. It doesn't work like that. You're supposed to have your own standards. And if you believe in democracy, then you're supposed to try to uphold those standards. And you're not, mass media. You're not. What do you think? Give me a comment, a question at comments at ionglobalpolitics.com. I'm looking forward to hearing any of your, your comments or questions about anything that we've talked about today. You're listening to the ILEG Radio Show with Dr. Paul F.J. Aranyas, broadcasting live on radio.ileducationgroup.org and ionglobalpolitics.com. And there's another story out there right now we'll briefly talk about. It's the Israeli situation. Israeli civil society seems to be protesting in mass to, or at least part of it, part of it, because Netanyahu did win. He did win the election. And so that there must be massive support for Netanyahu. And the opposition is in the street protesting against his legal reforms, which they deem undemocratic. And Netanyahu just dismissed his defense minister. So they went back out in the street. And they probably are undemocratic. But here's the problem is Israel is occupying a people for the last half a century plus 
since uh, 1967, the illegal occupation and going back to 1948 when uh, Israel was an extension of British colonialism and set in motion massive suffering for people that had nothing to do with the Holocaust, had nothing to do with the horrors of the Holocaust. For decade after decade, Israel has allowed and perpetrated a system where Palestinians live in an open-air prison in Gaza and the West Bank. Either these Palestinians deserve a state of their own, or they need to be integrated with full rights as, an Israeli, as Israeli citizens. Which is it? It's neither right now. So Israel is not democratic, hasn't been democratic, for decades and decades and decades. So for all you Israelis protesting the undemocratic uh, legal reforms of Netanyahu, because you fear undemocratic policies that will go against you, look to your right, to your left, just a little ways past that, that illegal Israeli barrier, that wall, that despicable wall, and see the squalor and the, the oppression that your state, your what you think is a democratic state, has been doing to Palestinians, Palestinian babies, Palestinian children, Palestinian women, Palestinian men for decades and decades and decades. Solve that first, and then you won't have a democratic problem. You won't have to look at Netanyahu, because Netanyahu wouldn't be there in the first place. People like that wouldn't be there in the first place, because the rot that has existed in Israel would have been rectified a long time when good people would have stood up and said, we're not going to do this to other human beings. We're not going to oppress the Palestinians like the Germans oppressed the Jews and killed the Jews. That's how you solve issues. You get to the root problem of issues. To be radical means root, radix, Latin. Get to the root of issues. And that's what we do here on the ILEG radio show every Sunday at 9 p.m. I thank you so much for joining me tonight. And I wish you a wonderful a wonderful week, a blessed week, and as always, keep the faith. You're listening to the ILEG Radio Show with Dr. Paul F. J. Aranyas, broadcasting live on radio.ileducationgroup.org and ionglobalpolitics.com.